This podcast is brought to you by Kevin Cruz, the author of a new book entitled Great Leaders Have No Rules, Contrarian Leadership Principles to Transform Your Team and Business. Please listen to podcast number 705, where Kevin and Greg discuss the 10 rules that have been developed by Kevin that really transforms how a leader functions and performs with their teams and employees. Kevin's book has one purpose, to teach you how to be both the boss everyone wants to work for and the high achiever every CEO wants to hire, all without drama, stress, or endless hours in the office. If you follow these rules, you are bound to change your leadership style for the better. Join Kevin and Greg on podcast number 705, where you will learn more about the rules, as well as a bonus that Kevin is offering to all of the listeners of this podcast. We hope you enjoy podcast number 705 with author Kevin Cruz about his new book, Great Leaders Have No Rules. To learn more about the book and to see Kevin's special offer, please visit www.norulesleadership.com. Thank you for listening. Welcome back to Inside Personal Growth. This is Greg Voison, the host of Inside Personal Growth. And joining me from Sandy, Utah, is Bill Adams and his partner, Robert Anderson, is not with us today. We're going to be speaking about their new book called Scaling Leadership, Building Organizational Capability and Capacity to Create Outcomes that Matter Most. This is a wily book. Uh, There's a free self-assessment in this book as well. It's endorsed by some of the best of the best. Uh, You're going to see people like John Mackey on there, and you're going to see a forward. Um, We were just talking about him. Um, Ed Camel. That's right. That's right. So um, I want to tell our listeners just a tad bit about you, if you don't mind, Bill. And there is a website for my listener. It's called scalingleadership.com. That's S-C-A-L-I-N-G, leadership.com. There you'll find more information about this book. You will also find more information about uh, a Q&A if you'd like to. There's a video there as well. Um, and there's bios on both of the authors. Bill is the co-founder and CEO of Full Circle Group, the Leadership Circle. Bill has over 30 years of experience as a trusted advisor to CEOs and their teams around the globe. He and his partners and leaders unlock breakthrough performance, develop deep leadership uh, capability and capacity, and transformational leadership results. Bill works with leaders as a leader himself and is learning and growing. He's co-authored another book called Mastering Leadership, an integral framework for breakthrough performance and extraordinary business results, the whole system approach. Uh, involving everyone in the company to transform and run your business and co-authored a book with Cindy Adams, The Quest for Quality Prescriptions for Achieving Service Excellence. Well, Bill, it's a pleasure having you on the show and I know you're a busy guy. And this book is really important to the people listening to this show who are helping grow their companies and grow leaders. And in the introduction, your partner, Bob, makes an analogy. He says that, Life scales or it dies. The growth is built into all living organisms. And you state that leaders must learn to scale themselves by scaling leadership. 
in the survey that the two of you did of over 1 million leaders, what did the two of you learn about highly creative leadership? Well, you know, it's um, first of all, it's great to be with you today. Thank you very much for uh, letting me join you and chat about and talk about something that's really, really uh, important to us. And uh, we, when we took this on, we we're saying to ourselves, and this was um, the second book that Bob and I co-authored together. The first one was more of a uh, just lay out the foundational work on what it takes to master to master leaders master leadership and to really uh, have it become a highly capable and really competent way of doing business. And the second time uh, in this scaling book okay, on scaling leadership, we said, how is it that we're going to scale conscious and capable leadership? How do we do that? How can we scale it in a way that would become more effective? And so in the study itself, we um, took a look at uh, 2,000 leaders across our database, primarily leaders at the, uh, let's say, top four levels inside of businesses or organizations, CEO and his or her direct reports, their direct reports, and their direct reports. So what we would call the top four leaders inside an organization. And we uh, went into the comments, and so of our, uh, we do a leadership assessment. We've uh, assessed 150,000 leaders uh, globally over the last 14 years. And out of those 150,000-ish uh, leaders, we had about a million 300,000 evaluators of those leaders. And what we had not done up to this point is uh, go directly at looking at the open-ended comments and finding out what leaders say makes other leaders effective. So when you talk to a leader and um, they look at another leader and say, who are the most effective leaders in the organization? We wanted to find out what it was that they were saying about that effectiveness. And it actually gave us an opportunity to pretty much hit into um, an intimate conversation. You know, we got to listen in on an intimate conversation when you're asking the question, what makes uh, uh, Carol effective? What keeps her being from effective she can be as a leader? And what are those things that she ought to work on? And uh, when we did all of that work, we came down with um, the top 10 uh, leadership strengths on the most effective leaders on the creative side. And those top 10 ended up being uh, strong people skills, visionary, team builder, personable and approachable. They lead by example, passion and drive. They're incredibly good listeners. They develop people, they empower people, and they have a really, really positive attitude. Now, when you hear all of those in combination, strong people skills all the way down to positive, empowering people, passion and drive, um, at some level, you'd say, wow, that's not a big surprise. And another level, when we looked at the data, we were surprised. The qualitative data here said to us that what makes the difference between the most effective creative leaderships and the least effective reactive leaderships, the differentiation there is the ability to be in relationship and work with people one-on-one, one-on-team, one-on-many, to actually scale relationship and the more effective we are at relationship, the better we are at our interpersonal intelligence and our ability to activate that interpersonal intelligence, the more effective we are. 
And when leaders talk about other leaders, that's what they point out. And these creative leaders are endorsed by those that respond to um, our assessment 2.3 times more often than the less effective leaders are. In other words, they get 2.3 times more endorsement around being more effective than those other leaders. And the key to remember here is this population is that um, they're pretty much equally talented around domain expertise and content expertise. In other words, these leaders have been promoted through years and years and years into that business. And once they get into these uh, higher uh, upper level management ranks, um, the domain capability, the content expertise, being good at what you do are table stakes. Mm-hmm. In other words, every one of their peers is darn near equally good at that. The differentiation in here is how effective they are with people. Well, I love your uh, way that you actually got to this data. And I was reflecting as you were speaking on a 60-minute segment with Ray Dalio, um, the guy that wrote the book Principles. And they actually showed how each of them were critiquing one another in a room. And they were actually running a video camera, right? Uh, they were recording and they record all those sessions of the leaders critiquing other leaders. Um, I found the whole process to be just fascinating. And the interviewer thought it was somewhat controversial, right? And he goes, no, this is what makes people better. Can you comment on that? Did you happen to see that segment or do you know his practice? I did. I did see the segment and I know the work uh-huh. um, and it would be a, Uh, another validation of what we're talking about here. So um, when leaders talk about other leaders, in other words, hey, listen, um, we can go into an organization and and you and I can walk into any organization, which we both do on any given uh, part of the planet. And if you say who are um, or who would you say is the most admired or the two or three most admired leaders in this company? And you ask that question to a dozen people, um, before you've gone very far, you're going to end up with the names of two or three people, mm-hmm. and they're going to repeat themselves. Yeah, it's going to be consistent. that always has amazed me. And so here's, there's two elements of this. One, the first thing that you get out of that is that uh, we used to talk about, in fact, you know, McGregor Burns, clear back in um, the Leadership Theory Day, and one of the, probably one of the best thought leaders in our field, uh, talked about leadership as the most studied and least understood. The truth is we actually know what leadership looks like and what makes for effective leadership now. Um, We're better at that than we've ever been. And if you really want to understand it, uh, you find uh, those leaders that talk about other leaders and they look at and they say, yeah, I really get it. And the things that we're talking about here that came out on that segment and the way you look at it, they're they're actually very, very clear. It doesn't mean they're able to practice it, but they see it when it shows up. And that's the part that always amazes me. And they're critical about it when it does not. Yeah, and it was um, it was a very telltale segment that they did about Ray and his company and obviously how he runs his company. Uh, and I thought that the whole segment about leadership was excellent. Now, as you state in the book, leaders are leading in a world that's moving fast. And I think leaders today are feeling more and more pressure. It's more chaotic. It's more disruptive. It's less predictable than ever. Um, and you refer to it as being volatile, uncertain, complex, and ambiguous. Do you yeah. believe this environment that we're all leading in today is going to change or just get worse? 
And if so, why? Well, the, <laughs> I love the question. Um, we're not moving to less complex. There's a difference in here between complexity and making things overly complex. Uh, the ability to simplify within complexity is very, very key. It takes the ability to look or the capability to look at the whole. Um, things are not becoming less complex. Um, everywhere we go and everything we run into, it's more complex now than it's ever been. And it continues to be the case uh, because we're moving so rapidly. And um, the world itself, uh, I mean, and, you know, I'm 63. I think about the simplified version of what I was dealing with when I was 35 or 40 and what I thought was complex at the time comparatively to now, um, night and day difference. And it continues to be that way. We don't see that changing. The question mark is how is it that you and I as leaders are actually able to increase the complexity of our minds, the way that we're uh, both processing and seeing the world and our place in that world so that complexity of mind my capability and capacity to deal with the complexity that's coming at me actually increases at least uh, proportionally or commensurate with the world as it changes. And mm -hmm. where we usually end up is being behind that curve instead of ahead of that curve. We've got to minimally stay even with it. So that leads me to this question, um, Bill. The reality is, is that um, I've always loved the the way in which Ken Wilbur or let's just talk about um, uh, liberating the corporate soul uh, by by Barrett. Um, yeah. You mentioned that when we step into the positional leadership, we step into a transformative crucible, that leadership yeah. is a spiritual boot camp. And yeah. I, I want to talk about this because you can't leave your soul and spirit at home when you come to work. How do you help leaders prepare for such a personal and professional transformation? And what traits do you look for uh, to succeed in being what I'm going to refer to as a spiritual leader? So let's just, um, boy, uh, there's a lot packed in there, isn't there? Yeah. Well, uh, I, mean, I mean, there's a wow. lot of studies that have been around for a long time about spirituality in the workplace. I just did one with Judy Neal about two weeks ago about uh, organizational transformation, but really about spirituality in the workplace. Uh, yeah. And yeah. I think, you know, Bill, as you know, you've been around this a long time. Uh, we bring our heart and soul to work. We can't leave that someplace else. So we need to yeah. be able to express it. Uh, but to be a good leader, you also need to be able to express it, but you need to be able to do that comfortably and have permission. Absolutely. Well, here's the, here's the first thing for me is that uh, the way that I approach this with leaders, whether I'm coaching someone one-on-one -on -one or I'm working with a group of leaders in an organization is that I want um, my leaders and our leaders to be able to actually embrace their humanity, their humanness. So how is it that um, <laughs> I get raised up through this uh, business corporation ladder or with even, it doesn't matter what kind of organization it is, whether it's not-for-profit, for-profit, government, uh, there to produce results. And I bring myself up through it. I get to this certain point where um, the illusion is I'm supposed to have the answers or I'm supposed to have arrived. And that puts us in the opposite position of where we need to be, which is to fully embrace the fact that as human beings, 
we come into this world in a developmental model. We we come in as children. We come in as child. It's not like uh, as a child. It's not like we look at it and say, "Wow, you know, you're falling too much as you're trying to learn to walk." It's an encouragement process. It's a development process. And as kids, we learn out loud. The way that we need to continue to embrace that is say the developmental opportunity or the developmental gap or my own developmental journey, which in and of itself is a spiritual journey, is something I want to fully embrace, something I want to fully take on and legitimize it as opposed to hide from it. I mean, I walk in and these leaders are trying to portray that they've got it all figured out, that everything's okay, they don't have to be vulnerable, they don't have to be in the developmental process, and on and on and on. And um, that takes them farther and farther away from the spiritual path that we are all on as human beings. We're on it whether we want to embrace it or not. Yeah, the learning it's, it's, is going to come our way. Usually leadership has been a direct relationship to a materialist viewpoint. But the reality is, is that there's so much more to it that's, you know, people are trying to say, well, where does consciousness come from? But, you know, when you and I are speaking here, um, yes, vibration words are going in between us. But the reality is, where's that coming from? Right. Yeah. Um, so you're connecting, you can say, well, scientifically, I know. But the reality is there is something greater that helps us to have this conversation and to go to the depth that we need to have it go. Now. Your firm is uh, using a tool called the Leadership Circle to measure yes. all the leadership conditions necessary and sufficient for what you refer to as scaling leadership. I found the diagram in the book to be very informative. I've actually, as I mentioned to you before we came on, I gave one of my leaders uh, your test, which is people can get this free assessment on their own. And we'll give them the link to that. If you can, in a word or two, or inform our listeners about what you are looking for in the leader and in specifically using this tool, how can this tool be helpful to other leaders who are dealing with leaders within their organization to better read them, to better understand them, to better understand their strengths, their weaknesses, so on and so forth. Got it. So we primarily uh, within the tool of leadership circle, which is also a model. So I look at this in three ways. One, um, it's a model of leadership that we can find where we are on it. In other words, where are we in our own development as a leader, as a human being? Secondly, um, it is a assessment against that model. And the third, it gives me a pathway. And so there's two primary elements of this. First of all, it comes off of uh, what we think about as development or adult development. So what are the stages of adult development? And if we look at the five stages of adult development that we pay attention to, we start all the way with uh, out of early childhood into uh, first stage of development as an adult is that egocentric stage. Next stage that we move into is what we call reactive. And most of us stay in that reactive stage for a significant portion of our adult lives. So somewhere around 60 to 70% of the population of adults operate in this reactive stage. And the reactive stage is primarily authored by others. In other words, 
Um, we frame up the way that we're going to be in the world based on what others think of us, uh, what they hold us to, and we learn how to do that through our early formative years uh, as we grow right into those teenage and our early adult years by knowing how to navigate the world, keep ourselves safe, and be successful. It's often more fear-based. What is it we are avoiding versus what is it that we want? Right. And the orientation is more about being authored by self rather than being authored by others. Well, and it's so building the, the self-confidence, as you know, and the courage to be able to actually ask and understand, right? Um, exactly. Yeah. I mean, I, this, I'm reflecting back on um, the gentleman I'm trying to think in Santa Barbara who did all this work on adults at this at the point that you're talking about. And, you know, we frequently are, I think, you know, you, you say this in business. Uh, I've had business owners say this, well, I'm just managing a bunch of kids, right? Um, yeah. and, and they've never grown up. But the reality is that um, growing up requires that we build confidence and we take on more responsibility. And in chapter six of your book, you discuss leadership liabilities. You, yeah. you listed 10 liabilities um, that are most frequently endorsed to at least. Can you discuss with the listeners those leadership liabilities that you see? Yeah, so the opposite of what we chatted about uh, a few minutes ago on those things that make the most effective leaders, the liabilities uh, start with, in, in this study, uh, the first one is uh, ineffective interaction style. How effective or ineffective am I at interacting? And um, when the talent is equal, someone that's more effective in the way that they are in relationship and the way they interact versus someone that's less effective, that becomes a liability when you have an ineffective interaction style. If you're not a team player, um, if your team, you don't fully develop them, if you over demand, if you micromanage, I mean, all those play themselves out. Uh, one of the ones that gets real clear is at a certain stage in there, I'm too self-centric. I actually am more concerned about what it is that's going to be about me than it is being concerned about and in service to others. That's a liability. Right. I yep. lack, I lack, I lack emotional control. Kind of going back I'm to the impatient. old green, green leaf leadership, right? Exactly. And yeah. you play this out. And the part in here that I love about this is that um, <laughs> we actually cancel ourselves out. So mm -hmm. we take these incredible strengths and everything comes off of strength bases. We're talking a moment ago on um, the reactive side versus the creative side. Everything we learned how to do at some point uh, was a real strength. But we take that strength and over toggle on it and it becomes a liability. So learning how to be direct and to actually give direction can turn into being controlling mm -hmm. and micromanaging. And if it Agreed. turns into controlling and micromanaging, I'm also not only limiting my capability as a leader, I'm limiting the capability of the organization I'm responsible for leading. So I become what I call a downdraft leader. I'm actually limiting the capability and capacity of my system. I'm making things more dependent on me and therefore uh, less able to scale. Well, when they, I actually you know. cap the growth. And when you know that the ego of the individual gets involved and it, it's difficult sometimes for them to recognize what they're doing and actually make some changes in behavior. 
And you speak yeah. about something you call canceling effect. Maybe that's what you were just talking about. What is it? Yeah. What advice do you have for leaders and that that are affected um, by this? <laughs> so the canceling effect, I mean, this is uh, Bob and I talk about this is that uh, you see this come up in anecdotal situations and conversations all the time. Uh, we've been working on this for six months and she literally uh, in one meeting canceled everything out that we've been doing. One meeting after six months of hard work because of the lack of understanding or stepping in or not getting it uh, canceled that leader and the work that they've been doing out. And that canceling effect often happens when it becomes uh, about me and more self-centered than about us. And the um, you know leaders walk into a room and think that their job is to be there to give direction versus their job to be there is to listen and learn. Yeah, well, you and said so it those right simple there. things between how is it that I can actually listen and learn and impact and teach and guide versus direct and control and tell. I would agree. And also doing that listening with compassion and understanding. You know, it's one thing to listen, to wait, to talk, to be the next person to speak. It's another yeah. thing to actually listen and then actually process and say something meaningful, you know? Yeah. Um, silence is yeah. golden many times. Yes. Um, you know, letting your, tang, your tongue waggle uh, doesn't mean that you're always contributing. Um, yeah. In chapter yeah, the eight. the old adage, right? <laughs> right. Listen twice as much as I talk, and That's I think it's right. more like four times. That's, probably four times would be better. Uh, one thing that I've learned by doing 700 podcasts is I've become a better listener. Um, mm -hmm. In chapter eight on how to scale leadership, you speak about how to, how, to, how to do it. Can you briefly talk about the three steps that you recommended in that chapter to scale leadership? Yeah, the, uh, and, I, and I, this sounds so simple uh, that people often miss it. Uh, the first thing on scaling leadership is you got to start with yourself. And I love the conversation around, hey, I am my own project. I mean, bottom line, uh, I got it. I am a piece of work. Um, I'm work in progress. That's the positive side. But you know what? I'm also a piece of work. And if I'm not working on self, I can't scale leadership. I've got to be working on self. And self, that development, that work on self has got to be ongoing. It's the rest of my life. Once I've actually started my own work, and I'm committed to it. Doesn't mean I'm not going to fall off the wagon at times. There's no question. Then I start working with my team and teams around those teams. So what I'm after here is as a leader, I'm responsible for my own development and the development of my team. I want everyone else to be engaged with that on my team. And we want to develop the other teams and become a team of teams. What does it mean for us to actually go from self to team to teams, and then to build the third piece of this is once I've done that work with my team and the teams around building that leadership system, that extended leadership system, which is the team of teams, and know that as a leader, once I step into a position of leadership that takes me to level, my responsibilities for not just developing self, but developing other leaders. Interesting. And often we don't think about that. We actually think that, hey, we work on self. Yeah, if you want to scale your leadership, develop other leaders. Help them with their development. 
If you want to scale your leadership, develop your team. If you want to scale your leadership, develop the teams in your organization and know that's as important as any business imperative we have because if you don't, you actually are going to cap the results or growth that your organization can have. Yeah. Ineffective and leaders you, cap the development of their organizations. And as you do this, Bill, as you know, you reach, uh, you can reach a, a point where you've got a self-actualized company. I always love Richard Barrett's discussion about the levels that people are in. And the yep. top level, obviously, that you're trying to get to is the self-actualized company, right? And yep. in liberating the yes. corporate soul, because what goes along with this was that spiritual thing we were talking about as well. And usually when you're in that space, you've also released much of that ego that gets in the way to make this happen. Now, you state that effective leaders create conditions for leadership to scale in themselves and in others and in the organization by engaging in four practices that work to establish and hold generative tension. What are those four practices? Well, so when I look at um, both conditions for scaling leadership um, and what makes a difference in play, there's uh, several in here. The four that make the biggest difference is, first of all, understanding I've got to be in deep relationship. What does it mean to be in deep relationship? You and I spend a significant portion of our waking hours of our life's blood at work. And that work that we do, that thing we call work, is made up of multiple and many relationships. How is it that I can be in deep relationship and make sure that I'm actually uh, in those relationships at scale? The second piece of that for me and the second practice in there is that um, I, we call it radical humanity. How is it that we can actually recognize and uh, embrace and honor our humanity? We make mistakes, we have to grow, we have to be vulnerable, we have to recognize that vulnerable, and leaders in that radical humanity learn out loud. In other words, uh, as leaders, our learning is on display. When we're not doing things very well, everybody knows it. When we're doing things better, everyone knows it. We're learning out loud. Third piece of that is that leaders have to be clear on what is higher purpose here. Mm -hmm. In our organization, what is higher purpose? What is it that actually isn't just about the product or service that we produce, but how it is we're adding value to this being a better, more conscious planet? And wow, if there ever is a time for the world to be more conscious and to wake up with good leaders, now is that time. So what is it that is not only my higher purpose, why I'm here taking up air and oxygen, and what it is I'm going to create, but what is our higher purpose? What is it we're going to actually produce in the world, given all this energy that we're putting out? And then the last one is that we want to systemize, uh, really make a development systemic and part of what we do. We want to embrace a developmental agenda. And the developmental agenda means that um, I'm going to be open to and encourage feedback and honesty and directness and understand that that's part of the world I live in. We live in a feedback-rich environment, and if we embrace that feedback-rich environment and harvest it, then we're going to be on that developmental path that we talked about earlier. So deep relationship, radical community, higher purpose, and to make sure that the we systematize development. Well, those are the areas that we play with. Those are, those are 
very important steps. And I also believe that what you said about the feedback loop is, oh, man. if not anything, one of the most important ones you said. Now, in wrapping up this interview, Bill, in your last chapter of the book, you refer to some research that a physicist by the name of Jeffrey West was discovered in what he calls the power laws. Can you explain this discovery and what it means for leaders today and into the future? Well, so this literally, um, this was Bob's very favorite thing, right? <laughs> I mean, Bob was into uh, very much saying that in this book that Jeffrey uh, West had written, um, that he was able to find those universal laws of growth and that there are universal laws of growth and innovation um, that if we look at uh, living organisms, that they work within those universal laws. And, you know, this is a guy that was a physicist who uh, turned to biology because he really wanted to determine what those laws were. And he called them power laws. And it's, um, you know, when you think about what the universe offers up to us, and I'm going to greatly simplify in here what was uh, very complex work, but the net net in here is that we look around the universe that you and I and we get to be part of and live, and those power laws are that if we can tap into what the universe offers to us, it is about inherent growth we either grow or we fall back or die. And so for me, it's like, wow, why are we here? What does it mean to be in relationship with others? And what does it mean to be in relationship with the complex environment around us so that we're creating a world that is sustainable? And how is it I tap into it? And when I'm actually working against those laws, and I'm gonna be very specific um, in one that's hit me lately. Um, <laughs> I was down in California this weekend and um, I was, uh, I've been very, I'm very concerned about what's going on with our oceans and the environment and the plastic in our oceans. And I thought, how is it that I'm actually uh, working against the power law that has to do with my contribution to the world? The power law that says, hey, listen, I've got to figure out how to reduce and eliminate my consumption of plastic that ends up somewhere in the world and damaging the world around me. I'm violating that power law. I'm literally violating a law that has long-term systemic impact unless I'm doing my part to change that. And my part to change that in this situation was I've got to reduce my consumption down to as little or nothing as possible because I'm not, I'm not doing my part. And what does it mean to do that at scale? Mm-hmm. Yep. And that sustainability law, I mean, like, I mean, I hate to, I'm, I'm being... You know, the vulnerability and honesty in here is that I'm a contributor to the very thing I hate. Right, which is the... That I don't want to have patch, happen. The garbage patch that's floating around out there and those two young men who've created a nonprofit that are really doing major things about, you know, around that. I can't remember the names, but I do get where you're coming from because you're speaking to the choir, I think, to most of my listeners and to me myself. Just as you say that, uh, Bill, I actually sent an email off myself and I use this soap that comes out of a plastic container and I'm saying, why do you guys keep using these plastic containers? Don't you make something where I can refill it? So I contact the company because they're supposed to be ecologically. And they say, oh yeah, we have the gallon container. 
So you virtually can just keep refilling those so you don't have to throw them in the trash can, right? So the yeah. reality is, is that, yes, we are attempting to recycle this plastic, but we, as you mentioned, there's there's something very spiritual about the fact that you had not only this epiphany just then, because it just didn't happen in California. It happened as a result of your thinking over a period of time. And um, I love the fact that that's a great example. It might be a micro example, but it's a great example of what everybody needs to be thinking about. What do they do? Well, differently? the micro to the macro, right? Right. Exactly. Exactly. So those are the power laws, right? Yeah. And the part, the part that, um, the grace in the universe. So we, we talk about integral leadership informed by grace. The grace in this universe around us is that it reveals to us what is a way that we can live and contribute if we choose to pay attention to it and take our responsibility for it. But if we choose not to pay attention, not to be aware, and not to take responsibility consciously or unconsciously, and one of my old mentors used to say that being unconscious is what I'm choosing not to know. If I right. choose not to know, then how is it that I'm actually violating that law of the universe on a micro basis that contributes on a macro? Mm -hmm. And if we don't raise the overall consciousness for those of us that are on this planet occupying it together, then we're going to find ourselves in a more difficult and precarious world next year than we are this year. And 10 years from now, uh, the consequences are going to be even more severe. And well, so have, this whole piece changes if we take that responsibility on. Yes, and you bring up an important point. What I appreciate about this, I noticed you said you were 63, I'm 64. The, the generations behind I'm not us, very far behind you, my friend. That's right. The, <laughs> the generations behind us, if you look at from generation to generation, I have grandchildren now, you probably do yeah, as well. I do. And you see what your children are doing versus what you and I used to do because of, you know, the, the baby boomer generation. Yes, we're a great generation. Um, but I think the mindset of the baby boomer generation has to equal the mindset of the generations behind us as well. I and I don't think that's quite happened nor nearly has happened, but what you've just spoken about actually brings and closes the gap. It really does. Um, yeah. And I think these principles, these power principles are so important. Um, I want to thank you for being on Inside Personal Growth and sharing some of your wisdom. Um, Bill, and also that um, you have a co-author here and I make, want to make sure that Bob gets his just uh, uh, contribution as well. This is a co-author book for my listeners, Robert J. Anderson and William A. Adams, Scaling Leadership, Building Organizational uh, capability and capacity to create outcomes that matter most. Now, there's two websites associated with this book. One of them is the Scaling Leadership book, uh, where you can learn more about the book. You can also uh, get a video there. You can read about the two authors themselves. But the other one is, for my listeners who are interested in taking the free self-assessment, which is in the book as well, um, lean into your creativity is what it says. There's an assessment there. They have information about the products and that can be, um, you can get that at leadershipcircle.com. That's leadershipcircle.com. We're going to put links um, to both of these uh, as well. 
And is there anything you want to leave our listeners with today, Bill? Well, first of all, thank you for uh, letting me spend some time with you today. I greatly appreciate it, Greg. And the only thing that um, <laughs> I really want to just lay out there is, hey, listen, um, bottom line is it is up to us. And we are accountable not only for the individual, but for the whole. And the difference that we can make by fully signing up for uh, taking on those things that are most important to us and following that passion is night and day from where we could be to where we want to be. And so I see it as a, a personal accountability and an opportunity to actually show up in a way I didn't. And that's in service to others, to the planet, and to the greater good that we want to accomplish while we're here on uh, this planet. And we're blessed to be here. So that's the yeah. piece for me. Uh, amen to that. Thank you for your contribution. And for those of you who were listening to these words intently, uh, we'll have it up at the podcast, but more importantly, um, what is being referred to here as well, what Bill is referring to is basically taking those small steps. It's those small little things that we do every day that make a difference. And then looking inside our own heart and changing our actions and our habits and our behaviors and our responses to people. Uh, that'll make this planet a better place. Um, and to everyone listening, thanks so much for spending the time. Uh, Bill, thanks for being on the show. It's Scaling Leadership. We'll put a link to Amazon to get the book. You can go to the two websites. Thanks so much. Thank you, Greg. Greatly appreciate it. This podcast is brought to you by Todd Rose, the author of a new book entitled Dark Horse, Achieving Success Through the Pursuit of Fulfillment. Please listen to podcast number 704, where Greg and Todd discuss the traits of what is referred to as a dark horse, someone who comes from behind and wins the race. Dark horses blaze their own trail to a life of happiness and prosperity and are focused on living a life of fulfillment. Todd profiles individuals, many of which you may or may not know for their names are not commonly recognized, but their accomplishments are truly phenomenal. Please listen to podcast number 704 to learn more about how dark horses come out on top. If you want to explore the author's website to listen to other interviews, talks, and to learn more about Todd's projects at Harvard's Mind, Brain, and Education program, please go to www.toddrose.com. Thanks for listening.